Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Dina Ali is a 15-year member of the Raleigh Fire Department, where she currently holds the rank of Battalion Chief. Dina was a police officer for five years before switching over. She is the founding member of North Carolina Peer Support and recognizes how critical it is for first responders to simply be heard and understood. Dina is also a college graduate student and has spent the last couple of years researching firefighter behavioral health and learning methods to prevent first responder suicides. With that being said, I present Ms. Dina Ali. Hey, my name is Dina Ali. I work with the Raleigh Fire Department. I've been with them 15 years. Uh, I, crazy enough, I got into it after the television show Rescue Me. I was a police officer at the time and I'd been a police officer for five years and I was kind of getting burned out and I just, I didn't feel fulfilled. And so then the show Rescue Me comes on and I saw uh, that they had a female in season two. And that was like the first time I realized that women could be firefighters. And I was just always jealous of firefighters because we as police officers would get on scene and our job was to secure the scene. The bad thing happened. There was no fixing that. It was taking the report, maybe trying to find who did it, but the bad thing couldn't be fixed on our end. Um, But then we would see the fire department come in and if they could fix something, they would fix it. And I was just always envious that they just, it seemed like they had so much more purpose. Less, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's cool. That rescue me, uh, rescue me was, the show that changed, which I loved Rescue Me. There's, I don't think there ever be another show kind of like it because they hit on so many different topics, but that's cool. Yeah, it got crazy after season three. Like, it got it, really crazy. It did. It did. It got a little dark, but it was it's probably still one of the best best shows that, that came out for firefighters, for sure. Yeah. Um, What is the culture like within your department regarding pride training, calls, and camaraderie? And how is it maintained? And that's, that's so tough, I think, for like a department like Raleigh, because with, and we're trying to change it. Uh, I just got a new boss and he, um, a new division chief of our, our, our platoon. And he, one of the things he said is he doesn't like having an A Raleigh fire department, B shift fire department, C shift fire department. Like we should all be the same. And, um, but what I've seen a lot is, you know, there's these, pockets of greatness and these pockets of sorriness. And I think that's normal everywhere. Um, and pockets of pride and then pockets of survival. Uh, you know, we don't realize how one person being, you know, having discontent or negative attitude, just how that is uh, picked up by everybody else and can bring a whole firehouse down. Right. So there's pockets of that negativity um, where the training isn't the norm, but then you have these places and I've been lucky because I've worked with some great officers. I've been surrounded by some great people who just have passion and care and are motivated uh, and it's inspiring and it's contagious. Um, So I I think, I think our culture is so much like others. I wish there was a bigger pride and training culture and um, our union when I first got on the department was older the president um, was an, like a chief and, you know, all the guys with them, they'd been on the department for years and years and years. The union was more of a social club. And that's really changed. We have a young guy who's our union president now. 
And uh, the direction he's going in is he wants more training, um, you know, wants to be more of a voice for us, look out for us. And it's been really cool to just see uh, that change. I remember I got out of the union after my second year because I just felt like I was wasting money. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm back in now and I'm excited, even though, you know, the money that I'm spending isn't like directly benefiting me anymore. Right. Uh, they're doing more for like our, our, our young folks, like they're bringing um, the engine company operations, truck company operations, they're doing training classes. Uh, and that's been so cool. Okay. Wow. That's, no, that's awesome. I, I can definitely relate uh, to that uh, statement with the union and its uh, ebbs and flows in, in doing what's right and not being such a social club. So yeah, I totally, totally understand that. Yeah. I think politics, politics ruin everything. And yeah, I think for a lot of the guys that, you know, were running it when I first got on, when they first got on, it was very good intended and they did a lot of good, but then it did just morph for them into that social club, you mm -hmm. know, and they, they lost touch. I mean, if you've been a chief for so many years, you forget what it's like to be new, mm -hmm. um, learning, trying to, you know, get on board. So it's, it's been nice to see the fresh blood come cool. through. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, what keeps you personally invested to stay positive and continue loving the job? And I only ask that because. I know some people that are kind of going through it right now. Um, people that uh, individuals that are getting burned out within the fire department. Cause I know you stated before you got burned out within the PD, but like, what do you do to keep going? Cause it, I know what works for you might not work for everybody, but maybe if you, if you shed a light to that, maybe that individual that hears this can, you know, maybe it could help them. Yeah, no. And such a good question. I'm glad you're asking because I hope, I hope all your interviews, you ask this because mm -hmm. I think it's really important because all of us in our careers have ups and downs and it ebbs and flows. And I'll be honest right now, I'm in one of those like downs. Um, I've got like multiple stressors that have recently come at me. And uh, there was a moment of, man, you know what, like why keep working and pushing so hard when you're just meeting resistance and because it's a lot of effort. And when you feel like you're just meeting resistance, it's really easy to say, man, I'm done. Mm -hmm. uh, but then for me, something I always remind myself is, you know, like I'm, I've never been here to be the norm. Um, I'm not here to fit the the culture or to fit the norm. So if I'm meeting resistance and the norm is, because, you know, have you, have you seen that quote? It's like, um, you know, if you keep repeating the same dumb thing, like it just means you're an idiot. Right, uh, right, right. It's a much well uh, written, articulated quote. But so, you know, you get to the point where it's like, man, just give up. Like, mm -hmm. but that's that's not what I'm here for. And that's not what I want. And that's not who I am. Uh, and for me, what keeps me motivated and I need I need positive affirmations. Like I can act all smart and tough and cool but I need positive affirmations. And sometimes just one positive affirmation from somebody, just one person that's like, Hey, I see you and I appreciate you. Um, or man, you know, I saw what you went through and how you, you know, you're doing this now and, and that's motivating. And then it's unbelievable when I get a message like that, or somebody says something to me like that, how I carry that with me. Um, and it's just a reminder that I'm not going to be the norm. I'm not going to like, let those things get me down and make me quit. Um, I'm going to stay focused and stay positive because in the end, um, you know, Victor Frankel, I've read a lot of his work and I appreciate his work. Uh, and one of the most important lessons from him uh, in his time in the concentration camps was that they could take everything away from him. I mean, they took everything like they mm -hmm. took his clothes, they shaved his head, they took his family. 
Um, they took his freedom. But the one thing that they couldn't take from him was his attitude. Um, that was one thing that he got to keep was his attitude in those moments and how he chose to see them. And so for me, like when things get really hard and I want to quit, I want to get angry. I want to say what's on my mind. Um, I kind of go back to that is, you know, they, I can be treated however, or I can meet as much resistance. Um, but I still have control over my attitude and how I choose to respond. Uh, and so I think that's what keeps me going is remembering I have that choice. And then when I do choose to positively respond to like negativity, it pumps me up. It's like, okay, you still got it. Keep got going. It. Okay. And that, I don't know if that made any sense. No, no, it's, it's good. Like, like I said, I mean, there's so many, I mean, cause even I've struggled at times in my career where, you know, you're trying to do the right thing, you're, you're pushing through and then you have individuals around you that are just like, they're, they're downers. And so like, you're like, what's the point? But then you realize, you know, what? All right, whatever, I'm just going to continue to do what I got to do. And just, I mean, in a sense, like leave them behind. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know about this. One. Well, no, I'm gonna ask you this one too, because I mean, you're kind of up there now, but what are your ultimate goals? Seeing how you're already a battalion chief. So and people don't believe this because my whole career, I've, I've always been ambitious and I'm never going to deny that or try to pretend like I'm not ambitious because I am. I've learned that about myself. If I have an opportunity, I take it. And I don't know where that stems from. I have some ideas, um, but I'm extremely ambitious. And so there's no limit to where I want to go. However, years ago, I watched this really good and I'll send you a link because I think you should share it. This really okay. good old cast like graduation ceremony by Tim Minchin. Um, and he explained like the rules of life and it was so beautiful, like, and so inspirational for me. But, uh, one of them he said is be micro ambitious. He said, stop looking far ahead for where you want to be and start focusing on what's right in front of you. Um, and he explained that when you look too far ahead, you might miss that shiny object in the periphery, okay. but if you put your head down and you give hundred percent to what you're doing and you're all in, um, that's where, you know, you receive the most. And I, I've always kind of lived by that since um, every role that I'm in, I give it a hundred percent. I try to read up on everything, take as many classes, ask as many questions. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, th that I'm settling. However, I've just found it to work really well for me, um, just being micro ambitious. And so, um, that's worked for me and that's what I continue or want to continue to do. So right now I've been a battalion chief for 10 months. I still feel like I have a lot to learn. I got very lucky, uh, uh, from October to December, I got hit by a lot of unusual calls. Um, I had okay. a couple of two alarm fires. I had a hotel fire, uh, an apartment fire that I got on scene first of. So I got a bunch of calls in that period. And up until then I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I'm probably going to suck. I'm going to screw up. Uh, and then I got hit by a handful and they went really well. And so it kind of gave me the confidence. So now I just kind of want to keep building that skill set and being really good um, at being a battalion chief and just see where it takes me. Okay. Uh, can I ask, do you miss the truck? Um, sometimes. Okay. So I definitely, uh, I'm definitely sad that, I mean, so we have two battalion chiefs that go on every fire. Okay. And the second battalion chief is assigned division C. Or if it's like a high rise or something like that, they can go in. Um, 
And oftentimes there's some aggressive battalion chiefs who find a way in on everything when they're the second arriving chief. <laughs> I remember the first time uh, we instituted that and I was on, I was, we were first in on a fire and we were down in a basement and it was out and we're kind of standing around high-fiving, feeling good. And next thing we know, we bump into our, like our chief and we're like, what are you doing in here? Um, and he found a way to get inside. Um, so like, I definitely miss, um, I was, I was always engine company type of person. So I miss that. Like I would feel to be able to like go in to a real fire, like on a line, not just sneak in as a battalion chief. So I definitely miss that. Um, but there are a lot of things I don't miss. Uh, I was on, um, I was on one of our busiest engine companies before I got promoted. And after COVID, uh, you know, COVID slowed things down and Uh then after COVID things went like, Boomerang. Even, right. Even worse. Right. Yeah. The amount of bull crap. Yes. Uh, like third floor, 300 pounds. I'm COVID positive and I want to go to the hospital. And I can't move. I need you to carry me. Oh, and I'm not going to wear a mask. And I'm going to cough on you. Like those kind of calls were really starting to wear me down. Um, but also I am uh, of advanced age now. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, um, I'm I'm twice as old as our youngest people getting hired. Like right, right. Yeah. Um. And 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 that I mean I I always told myself something I promised myself when I first got hired because I looked at some of the older women on the department and I looked at some that were in shape, some that weren't in shape, and I always promised myself I would not be an engine company officer if I couldn't keep up, um, with my firefighters. Okay. So when I first got assigned to engine eleven, I think that was the strongest I'd ever been. I was doing starting strength, going to CrossFit feeling good. And then the last couple of years there, um, I was getting injuries, um, and I gained a little bit of weight and it was getting harder. Like my mm-hmm. first I'm doing starting strength, I'm trying to squat more. And then by my last year, I'm like, man, I just want to keep squatting without getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that sense, I knew it was time, um, to promote because I knew I, I wasn't going to be able to keep up with, uh, the next generation of like younger firefighters. Um, so I, I see that and I recognize that I work out, uh, every day with one of our young guys, we did a killer workout yesterday. Um, but I'll scale things now. So I know that I'm not like, you know, what I dreamed of being, uh, when I, when I was younger. So in that sense, I'm very, um, you know, very happy. I'm where I'm at. And I love, like, I didn't realize how much I'd love being a battalion chief, but I absolutely, I'm thriving like this. I feel like this is this position that was made for me. Okay. No, that's good to hear because I mean, most of the time with my experience, you talk to somebody who gets promoted and it's like, hey, man, uh, so how's it going now? Do you, do you like your position? And they'll be like, no, I'm miserable. Like, I, I hate it. I wish I never would have done it. So it's kind of refreshing hearing you say that you do enjoy it. Um, oh, my gosh. I love it. I had no idea how much I would love it. And I think if it's a real thing, being an extroverted introvert. Okay. I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but I think I am one of those people. Um, I'm very extroverted. I love people. But I'm also very introverted in that sometimes I hit my max and I don't want to be around people. Right. So being able to get in my car by myself is awesome. Uh, and then uh-huh. leaving when I want to leave, you know, right. getting pop in, check in. And I love uh, the part of my my job now where like I see my role as not being the boss of a battalion, but like my role is to help this battalion. So when they need something like, I get to fulfill that for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday was Sunday. I was chilling 
And I got a call that a saw was broken and I had to go get them a saw and take it to him. And granted, I was like, damn it. I was really comfortable. Um, I didn't want to have to do anything, but that's my job. And it's cool. Like I show up with that saw and they're like, man, thank you so much. And that, man, that makes me feel good. Like, and I know it's so cheesy, but like, I'm like helping these people. I'm supporting yeah. them. I'm, yeah. I'm helping to make them successful. And I love it. Like, I love it. Uh, I've gotten, when I first made battalion chief and it's been less than a year, my entire battalion, every officer had been on the department longer than me. And I had some senior seasoned officers. They're good too. All of them are great at their job. I wasn't going to mentor any of them or mm -hmm. teach them anything. They were going to teach me and they did. Uh, we had a transfer in January and I got three new officers and they're all young and um, they're good guys who want to do well. And I have absolutely loved getting to work with them because they're asking me, you know, for help. They're asking questions. They're looking for guidance. And so for me, that's actually been cool. I didn't realize how, how that would shake out. And I couldn't believe how quickly, you know, that happened. Right. Um, that's, that's been really cool. Just being able to help them. Uh, and also I remember when I was a younger officer, I, I did a lot of things out of fear. I didn't want to screw up. I didn't want my boss to get mad at me. Um, I worried. And I remember the stress of that. And so one of the things that I try to do is not ever make them feel like they screwed up or come down on them. And they've expressed their, that they, they reckon, like they, they recognize that and they appreciate it. Like I could see some of them in the beginning, just when they mess up, it's apologetic. And, you know, like there's a little fear of, oh man, I screwed up. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's like, you know, thank you for not like jumping down our throats. Thank you for like trying to help us rather than shame us. And I enjoy that tremendously. So I'm loving it. Like I literally, I look forward to work every day. I look forward to the cycle. Um, I'm like, yeah, we got three days. I hope I get a fire. Um, uh, I'm uh -huh. excited to engage with these people. Uh, so it's, it's really fun. I love it. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, cause I, I can, I can definitely relate to you and your comment of, you feel like you don't realize how old you are compared to the new people being hired. I mean, cause I know like we just hired a good number and like the youngest they're 20 and I'm like, I'm 38 and it's like, holy cow, like you're 20 years old. That's just you feel old, but it's just like it, it is the way it is. But I mean, the definitely the fire service is a young person's game for sure. And the older we get, the more we need to remain physically fit to, to do this job. So I, I totally get it. Yeah. Um. Let's see. In your opinion, what key elements or factors are needed to make a good firefighter regardless of rank? I think uh, back to like attitude, right? Mm -hmm. um just that like i want to do a good job attitude simple um and then a big piece i wrote an article for uh fire rescue at the beginning of the year it was called be a not knower and it came from two things if you read um the pierce's uh operation manual for the fire trucks okay. in the beginning on page one it says um you know make sure you know um what you don't know and if you don't know something, you need to speak up before you get somebody hurt or killed. Uh, and it's like, this job is, you know, life and death. Right. And I remember reading that, like, wow, I've never read something like that, but that's true. Like, and I see us in the fire service sometimes, if we don't know something, we try to hide behind it and sneakily figure it out because mm -hmm. we're afraid to say, I don't know this, right. um, because of what people are going to do. But over the years, the biggest thing I've learned is you can know something 
and then two years later not know it right um, like i can't believe how perishable our skills and our knowledge become if we don't stay engaged uh so i was recently um diving into uh, psychological safety and learning more about that uh which i think you got a question coming up where i'll get to tie that in mm-hmm. and one of the big things behind it is uh be a not knower that especially as a leader um, if you don't know something, just admit it and then seek that knowledge and improve right. on it. Right. So I think for young firefighters to be successful, um, they, they, there just has to be this willingness, first of all, um, to constantly learn and want to learn that positive attitude. You know, I was always told and I didn't always do it. Um, I was always told smile, like no matter how bad things get, <laughs> smile. <laughs> okay. Um, don't let them see you sweat, you know? And, but now I see the value in that, like, we're going to make mistakes. People are going to, you know, give us a hard time and don't let that mess you up. Just keep smiling and pushing forward. Right. Right. Um, so I think, I think just keep that positive attitude, keep that desire to learn. And it's okay to not know stuff. If right. you don't know something. And I love it now. I love it when there's like a kid that's like two years on the job. I had a kid that I was working with and he taught me so much. Um, but I remember, uh, you know, I had once got on him about something and he was like, Hey, I don't know. Show me. And man, that put me in my place because I was, I realized then nobody had ever showed him. How could we get on him or make mm-hmm. him feel bad for not knowing this if we didn't show him? And I was so proud of his courage to look back instead of getting mad, getting frustrated. You know, he did he did it very in a very respectful, positive way. He was like, I don't know. I need somebody to show me this. Right. And it, it immediately changed all of our tone to man. All right, let's go. You know, mm-hmm. we owe this to you. Yeah, so. yeah, and because the so many, so many of this of this new generation that that are coming in, this is their first job. They don't know how to run chainsaws. They don't know how to how to cook. And it's up to us to show them instead of just looking at them like they're terrible or their parents did a terrible job. It's just the way this new age is. Yeah, which is uh, crazy. But I laughed earlier because you mentioned something about smiling and I have this same problem. I call it resting bitch face. And I'm pretty sure I heard you talk on another podcast where you're like, one of your guys was like, Hey, you need to, you need to smile more or whatever, because you look kind of bitchy. And it's like, man, you don't know how many times I've got pulled to the side by like, uh, deputy chief, assistant chief, my battalion chief, and they're like, hey, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Why? You just, your face doesn't look. And I'm just like, I don't know how to help that. So it's funny when you say that because I can relate to you, uh, uh, you know, when I heard you say that. Yeah, no, um, one, that, that same kid, he, one day, we got, we worked together for um over four years. Uh, and it was awesome getting to watch him from being brand new to he is an awesome fireman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we worked together a long time. And so, when you are on a company, it doesn't matter your rank. Eventually, like you guys become a family. And then right. eventually, um, you know, I could be the cat and he could be the new firefighter, but he may know stuff. And so we we learned to work together um, and to be able to be really open with each other. And he he was very open in telling me um, that sometimes my delivery really sucks. Right. And, right. and I didn't realize it, it, but I guess when at work, especially on a call, or when being serious about something, I had no idea, but like I, I, my face portrayed like that I'm like a bitch. I don't know. Or, or angry or something. Yes. Yeah. And I guess just when I get in the serious mode, I kind of get in that serious mode and I try to be uh, assertive and I didn't realize I was coming off 
the way I was coming off until he pointed out. So one of the things he explained to me was it, maybe smiling would help my delivery. So <laughs> we made a big joke out of that. So for like the next year, anytime I had something serious to say, I would say it and then I'd add like a really stupid, doofy smile at the end of it. Uh-huh. To help out. No, I, I guess I might have to try that because like, you know how many times I get asked, I'm like, I'm, 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 it's a great day. What's up? I just don't walk around with a smile on my face. I'm sorry. I just don't do that. But anyways, that's besides the point. I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> um, how did you get started with mental health for first responders? Like what, what kicked in or what triggered that, you know, that response for you or the idea to do it? How long do we have? Uh, uh, I mean, you can, you can do an abbreviated version. That's fine. So uh, the truth of the matter is, man, life freaking sometimes works in really mysterious ways and things are put in front of you in a way that could have never happened otherwise. Right. Right. So there was a period of time where that happened. I was at a slower firehouse. So I started a master's program mainly to see if I could do it. Uh, and I was given an assignment, find an area where current practices are not best practices, research help develop better practices. So I was still younger in the fire department and I was trying to make like an impression and, uh, I wanted to do something meaningful. So I emailed our safety chief at the time and asked him, Hey, what's something I could focus on? And I really thought he was going to come back with like something tactical uh, that would benefit, you know, us in the department. And he came back and asked me to look into suicide. And this was fall of 2015 before anybody was really talking about it. So it was shocking. But what was even more shocking than that was in that moment in my life was my like rock bottom. Like I was in the shittiest place um, that I had been since probably teenage years. Uh, I was very depressed. I was thinking about suicide. I was just having a rough go. And so he asked me to look into it. And of course, initially I'm like, what does he know? You know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so as I started researching, I, um, I connected to every bit of the research. I understood why, like in the, before I started the research, I felt really alone, isolated, wrong, crazy, And then as I started researching, I started to understand that, oh, I'm normal. Like, I'm not the only person that's felt this way. And these are the reasons that are contributing. And this makes sense. So then all of a sudden, I I got on this mission um, to, I I found, well, first of all, like it helped me, just kind of helped me get through that. But then I saw what a great problem the the American fire service was faced, um, with mental health suicide. And so all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm going to solve the suicide problem for the American fire service. So I got on that mission and I just kind of kept the wheels going since then. Um, just, you know, pushing forward with that. Mm -hmm. I have not solved the problem though. No, no, no. And, and, but at least you're, you're stepping in the direction of bringing it to light because it was one of those taboo things. Cause I know when I started, if, 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 if you had a bad call, you would kind of look at the, your other peers to see how they're acting. And if you say something, you know, most of the time it was just shake it off and you'll be fine, you know. But nowadays, it's it's with the LODD numbers of firefighters or first responders being suicide number one, followed by, you know, actually doing the job. There's proof out there like there's an issue that needs to be talked about or heard. And it's OK to not be OK. A hundred percent. And it's not even because I a lot of people use that data to say that there's an issue 
and they somehow turn it into like it's the fire service is causing it you know firefighters are three times more likely to die by suicide than line of duty but that is not a fire service problem that is a national problem Mm -hmm. the suicide rate nationally is 14 per hundred thousand the line of duty death rate nationally is three per hundred thousand and the fire service is below the national being a firefighter is safer uh than the like you know the national and we know that we know that like we're not dying every day um in fact they say the pizza delivery guy his uh line of duty death rate is 30 per hundred thousand he's 10 times more likely to die in the line of duty than we are um so all i have to say is if the suicide rate is 14 per hundred thousand the line of duty death rate for all populations is three per hundred thousand people in the united states are dying by suicide at much greater rates than line of duty. And it's a leading cause of death. It's a public health crisis. It is more than the fire service. However, the fire service, law enforcement, all public safety, we put on this badge and we put on this us versus them. We're supposed to be the fixers. Mm -hmm. And when we are struggling, it makes us feel far worse. Um, So now like, yeah, my thing is we have to bring just mental health, um, suicide, uh, stigma, all that to light for all people. And what you said, it's okay not to be okay. And we have to learn how to support each other better. Because yeah. I think right now we're, you know, you see it all the time, like call me, reach out to me. I'm always here for you. But if somebody reaches out to you and says, mm-hmm. life sucks, I want to kill myself. Oh, let me get you committed. Because right. I don't know what else. And that's right. not the right answer. Right. And so the and what part, we are failing at mm-hmm. and what's crazy is the best thing we can do for each other is just be there and be supportive and empathetic and it, be willing to be right there with you know whoever's struggling right. and not even have to know the answers i don't know what to do i don't know how to fix this for you but i want you to know that you're not alone and i'm glad that you reached out to me and and, and that can make such a freaking big difference but i see it all the time like we um i got a phone call um, from a fire department near you. And, you know, they took a lot of peer sport training, mental health training, and they had somebody going through a tough time and they did what they thought was right. And they had that person committed, man, that person now will never ask for help ever again. Yeah. That person's angry. That person's bitter. And so we have to do a better job at helping people. It's not, yeah. Oh, you're suicidal. Well, then you need to go be locked up for 72 hours. Right. Um, right. Let's, let's, let's figure out maybe why the person's there and help them make decisions on how to get better. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree because like, there's two things. So whenever somebody says, Hey, you know, if you have a problem, reach out to me, let's say an individual calls you, Hey, I'm thinking about this. You got to be prepared to act. You can't just say, Hey, call me if there's an issue and not, or when they tell you, you're like, um, um, I don't really know what to do. And two, I heard it. I did a, I did an interview, I think maybe a, week ago with an individual and he put this the best way that I saw it. So like, you know how, if you get hurt on a fire scene, on a fire ground, doing your job firefighting and you get injured and you you're in the hospital for, let's just say you're in the hospital for like a week or two, when you come out and you get released, there's usually a line of firefighters waiting for you, clapping, giving you a high five. Hey, you know, I'm glad you got good. You're going home. But if that same individual checks into a facility for help for mental health, 
nobody's there with him. And when he gets out, when he or she gets out, there's nobody outside high-fiving you. You know, like the stigma towards that is, it's it's terrible, honestly. Yeah, no, definitely. It's funny, um, you know, firefighters love to, uh, at a graduation or promotion or whatever, go out and drink and party and live it up and no judgment. Like, we're mm-hmm. awesome at this life. And then when you have somebody who's struggling with uh, substance use disorder, drinking, oh, well, they are a bad person. Yeah. It's like, well, what were you doing Friday yeah. night? Yeah. 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 No, you're, you're absolutely right with that. Um, we just have to learn how to support each other better. And it's funny. I, I do a lot of work with peer support, but I hate, um, I hate making peer support this specialized thing for this specialized group of people. Like I wish everybody would just do the things that peer support teaches. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be specialized. I don't want somebody struggling to call a specialized trained person for help. I want them to be able to look at the person to their right or to their left and say, I'm struggling. Like, can we talk? Right. I want that. I want that to be there. And, and so, sadly, it's, right? yeah, it's definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how did you start the Carolina Brotherhood ride? Or yeah, because you said you said you were maybe one of the founders or the founder. No, no, no. I was not the founder. Um, okay. I'm a founding member. Um, okay. I would. I smiled. I smiled because I wanted to say I started it and then share it with the guy who did start it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when Jeff Bowen from the Asheville Fire Department, when he died in 2011 um, in the arson fire, uh-huh. uh, a couple of guys from the Charlotte Fire Department, uh, Chris Taxon and Jim Squitieri, uh, they had that summer ridden in the Brotherhood ride. Uh, it was the 10 year anniversary from Florida to New York for the 10 year anniversary of 9-11. Um, so they finished that brotherhood ride. It was very meaningful and beneficial. So when Captain Bowen died, they were like, hey, I would love to do something in our state for our line of duty deaths. So that's where the Carolina Brotherhood was born. Um, and they were looking for riders and I submitted an application and it got turned down. And I was like, dang, you know, uh, and then like two months before the ride, I got a phone call. Hey, do you still want to ride uh, from Jim Squitieri? Uh, they had they had a couple of people bail and they were desperate. Um <laughs> And so I, I got on board and me and him hit it off as friends. And so I got on their board of directors very early. Um, and we figured it out as we went the first year. I think the first year was our best year, but we had a lot of learning to do and a lot of growing. Mm-hmm. to do. Um, So since then, I've been able to serve on the board since then. Um, I've ridden every mile of every year with them. Uh, this year is actually gonna be the first year that I'm going to have to take a year off, which is crazy but I've, I've, I've been with them for 10 years so i think it's it's okay yeah i'd say i'd say you should get a pass on that one year okay okay yeah, that's cool um and in your opinion what do you think the american fire service can improve on we talked a lot about you know being not knower and i brushed on psychological safety so psychological safety is an area that i am kind of diving into research wise and it's crazy because initially I looked at it from the mental health perspective. I remember, um, you know, first starting to read about it. It's got, it's a weird name. So a lot of people just brush it off and don't know what it is. Um, but it's very simple. So psychological safety is being in an environment where when you feel psychologically safe, you just can be your authentic self. Um, if you don't know something, you can say, I don't know, help me. Um, if you're struggling, you say, I'm struggling. Um, psychological safety is actually the, the way the environment becomes that is when the leaders model it. So when a leader models, hey, I don't know this, show me. 
But what's fascinating about psychologically safe environments is um, performance improves drastically and mental health improves as well. So it was first studied in um, medical field. Uh, Amy Edmondson was just looking at self-reported error rates. And initially they assumed that the more errors, like reported errors would yield more errors. But what they found was more self-reported errors um, were reported in organizations that had fewer errors. The organizations with fewer self-report errors actually had more errors. Okay. Um, so that had them like, hmm, what's up with this? And they realized that when you can say, hey, I made a mistake, you can actually learn from it and prevent further mistakes, but also you could stop something before it gets worse. So they took it much further and they um, used it to study the environment at NASA and to change the environment at NASA. So you remember the Columbia and the Challenger disasters. Mm -hmm. Those were attributed to low psychologically safe environments. They were what they call performance cultures rather than learning cultures. So the people that worked at NASA um, in those early years, they were in a performance culture where you were expected to know your job, do your job, and do it perfectly. And that performance culture made it hard um, to admit mistakes, to say, I don't know. Um, and to even if you see something that somebody else is doing wrong, it made it hard to say something without getting your head bit off. Um, and that's what they attribute those disasters to. Um, so now they've decided to, um, they, they've really pushed going from a performance culture to a learning culture. And with a learning culture, it's okay to say, I don't know, it's okay if you see somebody messing up to say, hey, let's look at that. Um, and they're seeing that their performance is actually increasing. Okay. So with that, I think um, one of the things that the fire service can do to improve is to improve the psychological safety within our environments have leaders who are willing to admit when they don't know things or when they made a mistake so that their people will also be willing to admit when they don't know things or they made a mistake. I think there are a lot of people whose skills have perished, um, whose skills have, you know, maybe when they graduated the academy, they were really good at things, but over the years, they're not so good. Mm -hmm. And they just hide in the background uh, and they continue to suck. And they never get better and it's a liability for the people around them. But also if they're modeling that the people coming up are going to model the same thing. So right. we can improve psychological safety. Um, we can, you know, work on basic skills every day we come to work rather than let's try to figure out this new crazy specialized way of doing this. But instead let's, Hey, let's do some mass drills. Um, you know, let's practice with our gloves on doing this. Let's advance some hose lines. Um, but also, you know, with the little things, sometimes maybe with the bigger things, like being able to say, hey, Cap, did you see this? And um, and fascinatingly, Jay Betancourt, he was with uh, Captain Bowen when Captain Bowen died. Mm -hmm. One of the things, one of his regrets in that whole situation was he noticed that Captain Bowen wasn't making sound decisions, but he admired and respected Captain Bowen because Captain Bowen right. was a freaking superstar. And he knew never to question Captain Bowen because he just respected him. But in that, he later learned or realized that the reason Captain Bowen was making poor decisions is because he probably had um, CO poisoning. Mm -hmm. He wasn't thinking right. Right. Jay's greatest regrets in that whole thing was not going with his gut when he noticed like a string of bad decisions because um, they were chasing like a hose line and he was like, this isn't making sense. Mm -hmm. He wishes that he would have like, 
you know, said, hey, Cam, like, and, and, and kind of grabbed him. Um, he doesn't know if it would have changed the situation, um, but he wishes that he would have recognized that Captain Bowen wasn't making decisions because there was something that had impacted him. So we don't realize like small bits of psychological safety can have big benefits. Um, and so maybe, you know, because we were always told like, you can question me at the station, but never question me at on a call. Right. right, right. But now we're learning that, you know, CO poisoning, HCN poisoning, if you look, if you um, study Richard Shelter's uh, death, mm -hmm. they were, they think that the same thing happened to him, that he had some HCN poisoning that led to like poor decision-making on his part as well. Right. So now that we learn those things and we know those things, we have to teach our firefighters like, yeah, respect your leaders, respect your supervisors, but always be on the lookout for right and wrong. And at some point, you don't know when one of them may be struggling. And it's as simple, instead of saying, no, I'm not going to call that mayday early. So maybe with that knowledge, Jay couldn't have, you know, told Captain Bo and let's do this, but maybe he could have called a mayday early um, with that knowledge. So, wow, that was a very long answer. No, no, it was, it was good. And it, it needs to, that, what you said, you hit it on the nail because- that's the way I was brought up in the fire service. You 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 never challenge your captain on a call. If he says, hey, we're going to do this, even though it might not be the way or there's an easier way, you just did it because you didn't want to disrespect him. But, and you also hit the fact that some of these officers need to admit they don't know everything. It's okay because I can tell you I don't know everything. I've been in the fire service for 16 years. I am very upfront. There's certain things I'm strong at and there's things that I'm weak on, but I don't put that persona on that. I need to know everything because you just can't not in this field. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. And now we also know that the work that we do could impair our like cognitive decision-making. Mm -hmm. so now it's on us to make sure that everybody's educated on that. And, um, you know, I appreciate the, I went to the breathing equipment school, and there was the Bowen drill. And part of that drill was having somebody, you know, kind of do something quirky and you as the firefighter, not the like officer, make a decision. They were trying to teach to recognize, you know, that that behavior and make a decision. Um, and I think that's awesome. I think that we need to get that taught to like all firefighters. Like, yeah, you have to respect your supervisors and your leaders, but also this is life and death. And mm -hmm. situations where you are going to have to step up and take charge um, and, and don't be afraid to do that. And great leaders, uh, I'm pointing at me, but I don't mean to, um, but <laughs> I, I aspire, I aspire to be a great leader. I want to be great. And I know that one way to be great as a leader is to respect people uh, who have the courage to tell me that I'm wrong right? And have the courage uh, to help me get better. And I don't see a lot of that. And I think we need more of that. We need leaders who are willing to be better and to respect people and not to be like my way or the highway. Don't question me. Yep. Yeah. You, you know, do what I ask you, but if I fuck up or if I'm leading you down a, a dangerous path, call me out. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I can't agree more. I mean, leaders fire officers need to be able to take constructive criticism granted there's a time and a place where you need to do it but like if you're if you have in a situation where your firefighter has a problem you're in his office or he comes he or she comes in your office and they're like hey cap i didn't like this and that and the other like you need to be able to take that without biting their heads off you need to hear what they're saying process it and then 
you know, tell them, okay, let me think about it. And then actually think about what happened to, to make the situation better. And that's that I'm going to agree with you. That is a big problem that we have is that fire departments, certain fire departments, not all fire departments aren't teaching individuals to make decisions. They're not teaching them tactical wise decisions. And it's just, you do what your officer says. And that's not always the case because most LODDs, there's always like this happens and then this happens. There's like signals and then it just triggers into a domino effect where this, this the result is a line of duty death when something could have been fixed if we teach our own to, to see that sign. Exactly, yeah. Awesome. No, it was great. It was great. I, like I said, I, I I love hearing it because I want other people to hear it because they could be going through the same situation. So um, with that being said, is there anything else you want to get out there uh, as far as uh, any, any messages towards, you know, your, your, your peer support program, mental health, anything out there you just want the other listeners to know? No, I think we, man, wow. We went all over the place with this interview and I think it's great. Um, but I just, I just want people to know that you don't have to have the answers. Um, peer supporters don't have the answers. They don't know how to fix anybody. Um, you just have to be willing to support people. And, and, it, and it's okay if somebody's having a really hard time and you don't know what to do for them to say that. Like, I don't know what to do, but I'm here. Like, that's what we need more of. We can eliminate a two-day peer support class if people could just learn um, to to be there with others and to just, you know, empathy, not like feeling for people, but just recognizing what they're experiencing and communicating that to them. Like, shit, man, this is hard. And I see that. And I'm so glad that you, like you came to me because I, I'm here for you. And I know that if I was going through this, you'd be there for me. And right. so I want to be here for you now uh, in your hard time. And I think, I think if we can do more of that, uh, maybe, maybe people uh, wouldn't kill themselves as much, but I don't know. No. No, like well said. Um, I look forward to seeing you at the end of May in June or May. Yeah, at the end of May and the beginning of June for a class down in Wilmington. I'm looking forward to it because uh, I want to kind of be able to help. If I see the signs, kind of know the signs and get involved where it doesn't have to end tragically for that individual. So um, I appreciate you coming on here. I know you're super busy. I uh, I can't thank you more you know, for, for, for coming on here and doing this with me. Yeah, no, it was an honor. Thanks for asking. Um, like I said, if you're a friend of Rob Culvert, you're a friend of mine. Um, so congratulations on this podcast. Uh, I look forward to seeing uh, how you do and the direction it goes and listening to some of your episodes. Thank you. I appreciate it. And you have a wonderful day, Dina. You too. All right. Record. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.